Welcome. You have found the show we call Real Men Don't Cry, or do they? This is a podcast for men, and on this show, we will hear real-life stories from men about how they have navigated the complexities of being a man in this modern day. We are going to look at the boys don't cry way of thinking and how that has influenced them and how they have risen above societal pressures to be true to themselves. The focus of this show is men's real world experiences, not just ideas and theories. I hope that you will learn from what they have discovered and use it in your life as well. Let's get into today's show. Welcome to another episode of Real Men Don't Cry or Do They? I'm Brandon Archer, and this guest today, I, I'm i not going to lie, man. I was apprehensive about asking you. I hoped you would say yes. You said yes. Uh, this is Mike Shaw, everyone. Welcome, Mike. Brandon, thanks so much, man. I am. Uh, I love chatting with you, so I'd jump at an opportunity like this. Thanks a lot for thinking of me. Yeah, we spent like 20 minutes before the podcast chatting. Um, would you mind just introducing yourself, tell people who you are, where you are and what you do? Yeah, no problem. My name is Mike Shaw. I'm a keynote speaker. That's what I do for a living. Primarily, I speak in front of audiences on an array of topics, but mostly gratitude and resilience. And a lot of my, um, knowledge and understanding in that space is based off personal experience. So I, um, I, uh, ended up having a, a pretty traumatic accident just over 10 years ago. And I had a spinal cord injury. I dislocated and broke my neck. And so I'm an incomplete quadriplegic and I've had to overcome a lot of uh, challenges along the way over the last 10 years. But now I'm a uh, speaker consultant. I've got, I'm about 80% of the way through my master's in psychology. So clinical psychology, psychotherapy, and I am here to support people. And so really grateful that we're aligned in this space and stoked to be here. Yeah. You remember how we met? I remember it pretty vividly. Mm -hmm. Our buddy Wade introduced us. Wade was working with me in BC, um, doing some cycling coaching. And he, he knew I was going to a sports leadership conference in Ottawa. I think it was in Ottawa, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I think it was in Ottawa. Yeah. He's like, oh, you got to meet Mike while you're there. And why, do you know why he put us in contact? What was his reason? We connected because um, I'm a, you know, but uh, for your audience, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And I have a coach and athlete performance training company called Head Start Pro. And uh, so that's one of my projects on the go all the time. And, and we connected over that initially. And then we worked together with Cycling BC. And right. I think you actually took the, took one of the coaching workshops with us yeah, and I totally did. And then we just connected on a way, way deeper level about life and, and, and love and happiness and all the deep and meaningful chats we've had over the years. <laughs> it's just been um, incredible. So yeah, really uh, excited to see where this one takes us. Yeah. Well, you, now that I'm like hashing this out and remembering this, you actually suggested the book the way of the superior man to me you were mm -hmm. a huge introduction into me working with men so that's like a long that's actually way more years ago than i originally thought so thank you yeah, for that cool. man you played a huge part in my journey 
I will receive that gratitude. You're welcome, <laughs> my friend. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a two way street. I'm I'm, I'm uh, thankful for the connections too, for this connection. So, yeah, that. Uh, anyway, you want to get into it that uh, that books changed our our lives collectively, but uh, what where what else? What's going on? So here's this podcast is uh, just from it's to share men's stories and your story is huge and you've shared it many many times and we don't need to hash out maybe the version you share often but i'm more curious about your journey as a man Mm -hmm. and what you have learned along the way about yourself so the the accident that you had what kind of inner demons did you have to face oh good question um so i'll give um everybody a bit of the backstory um in 2013 i was the head coach of the canadian development half pipe ski team so i was skiing professionally and literally living my dreams on snow 11 out of 12 months of the year traveling the world and um it all came catastrophically crashing down physically and figuratively speaking like i i i had a a huge crash skiing in colorado in december of 2013 where i broke my neck and was rendered instantly paralyzed from the neck down i i displayed as a complete quadriplegic like it didn't look like i was going to have any um recovery or regaining function below my neck but something told me that that prognosis that the medical experts were giving me wasn't quite accurate. I had, uh, I just had this, um, belief inside me that, and I held on to the idea that I might ski again one day. And, um, I left the door of opportunity for me to heal open, even if just a crack so that one day I might be able to walk through it. And fortunately months later, four months later, I, I walked out of the hospital defying all the odds. A year later, I was back on snow and um, two years later, skiing out of helicopters and filming Red Bull documentaries. And I, I went through a really deep introspective process to get through the physical healing too. a lot of the mental and emotional stuff was really difficult. When you ask about demons and forgive me, everybody, for giving you like the 40,000 foot view of my story, it is it is. Um, it is uh, more detailed than that, I can assure you. But um, in the in the process of getting a miraculous physical recovery, or getting through a miraculous physical recovery, I had to work through demons, no question. I remember there were nights in the hospital where, like, I was those were the hardest. Like, I was left alone with my with myself and my thoughts, and really nothing else. Like, I had been stripped of my what i thought was my personal identity like freestyle skiing being a coach an athlete an adrenaline junkie my relationships like everything like the the future i thought i was going to have for myself everything was stripped away so i was going through an immense grieving process for losing my identity i um (laughs) i was struggling like on so many levels I think um, identity and grief is probably umbrella for everything else under that. And, you know, what makes up your um, 
your identity. So I'm, I'm dealing through all of these struggles in the hospital at night. And I, if I could, would just smash the heart rate monitor. I, all I can hear is a beep, beep, beep in the back. And that is literally when the tears came. Those long, challenging, dark uh, nights. I actually nicknamed it. I, I used to um, speak to my cell phone. I'd speak to Siri, to my notes. And I, I wrote out a piece called The Dark Pit. And it described the despair and um, immense grief I was going through at the time for losing my physical body, my identity, my inner, inter, um, pardon me, my interdependence, my independence. All of it was um, was gone. I was completely reliant on other people for everything, like picking my nose, scratching my head, like you know, it was just intense, and <clears throat> it gave me some vital perspective like i realized that the thing i the things i used to take for granted you know and you don't know what you take for granted until it's gone but this um process for me i i just uh things that would never show up on the radar of things i was taking for granted before my accident were there imminent or immensely when i was um in those early months after the hospital like being able to brush my teeth or you know scratch and itch, those types of things where, you know, even just going to the washroom on your own or being able to bathe yourself, that's not something that most people intentionally think about and feel thankful for because they just don't show up on the radar of the things you think you're taking for granted. And anyway, I've, um, I've digressed a little bit into, into where I went in my mindset to get through some of the, uh, some of those demons. Cause I, I use gratitude a lot in those times to try to reframe or at least get through some of those times where I was absolutely devastated, struggling the long nights, man, they were the worst. Thanks for sharing that, man. See, this is the, this is the part of the story I've never heard from you. I've heard your story mm -hmm. a few times in a few different ways. So thanks for sharing that. Those you know, inner demons, those thoughts, the emotions, the grief. Had you ever had to face anything like that before? I'd never faced anything quite so severe. Like I'd experienced grief before at the like loss of loved ones. I'd like um, physical losses of people that were close to me. Like I'd lost friends due to accidents in school. I had, uh, lost my grandparents which was a natural process but still difficult pets you know like i I'd, I'd gone through grief and struggle but i'd never struggled and i don't think a lot of people get the experience thankfully or have to endure the experience of grieving a loss of themselves and then surviving it you know and, and living through that and so now my my perspective that I try to share with people is based on that near death experience and what some of the teachings were in that. And that's why we resonate so closely, yeah. right? You know yeah. what those um, near death experiences can do for your perspective. It helps you live more, with more fulfillment and meaning and connection in your life when you appreciate the um, fragility of our, of our lives. Mortality is an important thing to ponder. And, 
when you're faced with it blatantly like that, though, you don't have a choice. You have to go through it. And I had literally, there were parts of me that actually died. The past person that I was, the skier, the adventurer, the adrenaline junkie, that athlete guy was no more. And so I had to, uh, <laughs> I had to learn to live with myself and the beauty in it was that when you strip away all those titles or labels or the things that you think make you who you are, you're left with who you actually are. I, I believe, or I define identity as who you are in all situations. And so if you were to take your spirit and your personality, your character and move you through from um, one physical ability to another or strip away the physical abilities that you have, the core identity, the core person underneath all that is is you. And yes. most of us haven't taken the time to actually appreciate that underneath the, the, the titles and labels that we unintentionally subconsciously give the permission to play a huge role in our identity, like the things we do, our relationships, our jobs, things like that. If you're to strip all those away, you don't actually strip away your identity. You're just removing the layers to reveal what's underneath. And underneath you have core values characteristics and traits that are stable like being like your integrity being responsible being being uh loving compassionate loyal trustworthy honest humble um funny like any of those things that kind of connect like who you actually are with the people that matter most in your life that's that's you but what we do and especially as men is we unintentionally permit our jobs or being a provider or labels or things like that to make us who we are. And what we're doing is removing our value set from our core identity to the external things in life, which I'm not saying they're not important. Being a provider, being a, the, the thing you do for your career where you get a fulfillment and purpose, you know, quotient delivered on like all of those things are important no question that's why it hurt to lose them but where i looked for silver linings was the fact that i had never been more sure of who i was at my core in my life like before even freestyle skiing it was just like if you could hit the jump like legitimately you could hang out in the community you had a yeah. place if you could just do it and it was a unique place because you're hitting 80, 90 foot, 100 foot jumps sometimes going 20, 30 feet high, spinning and flipping and grabbing. And it's like it's a specialized skill set and it's a niche sport, therefore a small community. But I, um, that was where I'd found my place. And I think that was part of what was so hard to lose in that in that case. But in the aftermath, after going through all of the struggles and mental, emotional torment from losing that stuff, I realized that I had found myself in the process and I, my confidence level spiked. I'd never been more sure of who Mike was. It was wild. Oh my God, dude. You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> Cause I understand. Cause I've lived it too. And for the men listening, I think, you know, these stories, they're like, wow, that sounds amazing. How do I do that? What, what do you say to a man who 
hasn't had a huge traumatic experience and is identified with what they do in life versus who they are, what would you say to them to like start peeling away the layers? I've had um, many conversations on this level with other men and I've met um, the it's cliff edge or nothing learning curve where someone, someone thinks that like, it's literally nobody can learn what you learn unless they fall off the cliff. Like for you, it was cliff edge and you, and you fell to your doom, but then we're able to somehow pick yourself back up. Um, that's the only way you can learn this stuff. And I was like, are you like, there's no way that that is the case. And, um, <laughs> in life, thankfully, most learning and personal growth happens in the absence of trauma, right? Like lots of people have experienced traumatic experiences and there's complex trauma through childhood where people are um, experiencing like abandonment issues or, or uh, relational trauma where they've got just a, an unstable environment that they're in. And so there, a lot of people do go through, through um, sort of small T trauma like that. And that can create uh, post-traumatic growth as well. And that's not cliff edge. Those yeah. are like, that's like a, a continuous uh, number of hurdles. But um, in, uh, in reality, if you think about how much people grow and learn and change in the absence of trauma, if someone says that's like required for this, I say absolutely not. And thankfully like imagine if it was the only way to learn and we would everybody would be um masochistic but just uh, self-sabotaging sacrificial lambs yeah. but we're not thankfully and um anyway we we um can learn and grow with it without having to go through something so significant now i do believe that there is a a lot of value in failure and pushing yourself to a limit, even if it's you were wanting to expand your mental and emotional capacity. Like, for instance, you want to learn to change your mind and change the belief that you have about yourself and your self-worth, for instance. Like, um, to, <laughs> to change your trajectory in life, you're going to encounter setbacks and stumbling blocks where you get there and you find that that little voice that's inside your head, the the negative automatic thought that keeps coming up and um, that might say, I don't have what it takes. I I'm not a numbers guy. So how can I get into business? Or, you know, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not able to connect emotionally on that level. It's like, you know what, to learn to connect emotionally on the level that you want to with your loved ones, your spouse, your partner, your family members, kids, you may have to push the rock up the hill for a little while and encounter setbacks where you take a few steps forward and then one or two big ones backwards because you realize that you didn't have the skills at that point or there was a resource or skill gap where I go, I can't get past that. And it's like, well, that failure is an opportunity to learn. It's not a massive, as we would say, trauma it's an opportunity for growth to identify skill gaps or resource gaps where you need to fill before you can advance past go. And I always say that 
um, a step backwards is still a step forwards if you never stop working towards your goals. Yeah. Did you get that? A step totally. backwards is still a step forwards if you never stop working towards your goals because you never stop moving towards your goals, right? That step is just the next step you need to take. Well, it's growth. It's growth and growth's not linear. I've got this. I'm going to show you because we're on video. Yeah. And I'll explain it to uh, listeners. I got this branch from this tree. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what kind of tree it's called, but it literally like ties itself in knots. It grows up and then so it cool. gets squiggly and it goes the other direction. It's wild. But I keep this here because it reminds me of what growth actually is. Mm -hmm. It's not a straight line. So when you share like a step back is still moving forward, it literally is. It literally is. You're still growing. And as you were sharing everything and, and you know, we both had some pretty big experiences that like helped us meet ourselves. Even, and I've thought a lot about this. It's like, do you need that big thing to shake you to meet yourself, to, to learn how to, you don't, because as you were, as you were explaining it, just business, let's say, and you come up against bumps or, or hurdles, that's actually your window into learning who you are. Because those hurdles are tied to you and your identity. And it's like, you're asking all this, all this internal dialogue that's the window into the same thing we experienced. It just looks a lot different. It's like, we got a yeah. crash course and they're like, oh shit, like for you, I'm stuck in a hospital bed. I have to deal with this now. But life actually does give us these opportunities. They're just mm -hmm. masquerading as problems. And I think you hit uh, a, a valuable point there where you said life gives us these opportunities. and. You described ours like you had a, you're a heart attack survivor. I'm a miraculous survivor from a spinal cord injury. Like my physical abilities now, most people can't even tell that I'm an incomplete quadriplegic. I've still got some underlying symptoms and things that I struggle with on a daily basis. But for the most part, it's people I'm like healed. Yeah. And um, I still am a, a shell of the athlete I used to be and things like that. But that's not a as much of a priority for me anymore. Although I did just spend a week in the mountains. I'm glad you brought that up. For a week. Like, <laughs> for a week. But uh I didn't mean to take us on that tangent. But um No, I'm glad I'm glad you shared it because I'm like, yeah man, that's still pretty big. Like a lot of people can't physically do what you just did. And it's seven days of hiking five to fifteen kilometers per day uphill with your ski gear on your feet, like the skins, yeah. the ski touring, mountaineering gear. My pack probably weighs twenty to thirty pounds, depending on how far I'm going that day and how much water I need to bring and everything like that. But um it's an incredible physical feat in an a part of the world where a minute fraction of a percent like i'm talking a one one hundred thousandth of a percent of people maybe get to see places like that yes. in the world period like i i am hit by wave after wave after wave of gratitude out there yeah, i man. struggle and i still have physical um physical abilities that are compromised by my spinal cord injury i can't ski it as aggressively as i would like to per se but i'm there and that gratitude wave like completely surpasses any negativity i might feel in that moment 
And so it's negativity is it's so like, can we riff on that just a bit? Because you're you were told mm -hmm. you're never going to like you are a quadriplegic and you touched on you basically knew right away. It's like, no, that's not true. And why I want to touch on that is like, who was that voice? Who? I, um, I've thought long and hard about this because at the time where the doctors like picture these two guys in lab coats standing at the end of my bed on day two after my accident, I had actually regained what I thought was some function. Like I could, I could shrug my shoulders a little bit. I had a little bit of deltoid activation. Like I could lift my, my arms. I had a little bit of what I felt was movement in my biceps. Like I could close my elbow, not against the weight of gravity. If I was on like an even plane, like if you were to hang your arm out like flat and someone was supporting it, I could close the elbow, but I couldn't open it because I had no activation with my triceps. But in my mind, something had changed. And um, so I was like, whew, this is, uh, thank goodness I'm not a complete quadriplegic. I have the most, and literally I could not lift my arms against gravity. So I had no strength. Like they were, I, I had a useless amount of function, but I had some function. And so my mind, something had changed initially, which was good. But these two gentlemen are standing at the end of my hospital bed on day two. And that's kind of my neurological picture. No movement aside from what I just described. No wrists, no hands or fingers, no, nothing firing in my abdomen, no uh, messages getting through to my legs or my toes or anything. My back muscles, I can't contract. I don't have any pectorals, none of that. And this guy, um, these two guys stand there and one, they're both wearing the white lab coats. One had like a old white whispery mustache. He was like the oldest <laughs> thing in the hospital, I swear. But he was, uh, it was a pretty new facility. So he was St. Anthony's Hospital in Denver, but he was the spinal specialist on the intensive care unit who had seen more people like me come through the doors of his ICU than anyone else. And he stood there and he said, Mike, you should prepare yourself because you're probably never going to walk again. In fact, you'll be lucky if you get back the use of your arms. Wow. And those words hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I was just like, oh my God. I was like, whoa. Did that dude elicit like, like emotions dude. on the spot or was it more? Oh yeah. But like I was taken aback, I was taken aback by it and I went, Whoa, how do you know? Ooh. And I may not have said it exactly like that, but I asked him, I said, how do you know that? And why are you telling me that? And he told me all the reasons why I, uh, like the medical imaging, the surgeon who was there, the other gentleman in the lab coat, he said, you know, corroborated that it looked really bad in there. Your spinal cord was completely crushed, like not severed, but it's damaged really badly. I tried to repair it as best I could, but there's really, it doesn't look good. And I said, okay, I don't know if you're right. Ooh, and damn. I love that. Here's, here's the thing for anybody listening to this. The only person in this world who knows what you're capable of is you. Nobody else outside of you can tell you what you're going to accomplish or if you want to change something, how to ch like that you can do it or not. But how really that decision is up to you. I agree and, with you, but how do you dig that deep? And so I think there's some um, psychology in the fact that this um, gentleman just ch challenged me as a 27 year old 
kid at the time, a male, like, you know, just said, anytime that someone says to you, Hey, no, I don't think you can do this. Yeah. There's a little bit of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to show you. But I also, um, was okay with in that moment, I accepted my position and I said, if that doesn't happen, like I'm going to leave the door of healing open, even if it's just open a crack, like that opportunity, one day I will hopefully walk through that door. But, um, <laughs> if I don't, I decided right then and there that I'm still going to live a full life. If I cannot go back from this, I will go forward from it and it's going to look different and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to make the most of this. And so in that, in that instant, both of those options were okay. And so I worked relentlessly towards a vision of, I want to ski again. I envisioned in that moment, this like, um, and uh, don't know, it kind of came to me, but I set it as my goal. Like while those two guys were still in the room, I said, I, in my mind, I didn't say this out loud because I didn't know if I fully believed it yet either. But I said, no, I don't think you're right. I think I can get through this. And I am going to one day try to ski wide open powder. and Which you spaced, just did last spaced week. Spaced out tree skiing, which I... uh which I did. And then some like that, that trip last year blew that out of the water, like with the hiking for seven days straight and everything. The physical challenge is uh, for the most able-bodied mountain men and women is difficult, but for uh, me to be there, it's, um, it's, it's wild. It is wild, man. Did you, the level of grief that you shared before, had it already mm -hmm. started or when those guys shared that information, did it kick in full full on that night it was um initially like there was like a honeymoon phase where i was in the nightmare but it still just felt like a nightmare and um it wasn't like i call it the honeymoon phase it's probably not a good way to describe it but it was like once that wore off and um i realized i was waking up from my nightmare in the same hospital bed day after day after day it started it got a lot harder and so it got worse before it got better and the grief took me to like a, the the dark pit like despair hopelessness feeling like you know because everything was so difficult like i couldn't feed myself i couldn't wash i couldn't go to the washroom i couldn't go to the restroom on my own you know like every time i needed to get in and out of bed in a day it was a nurse and with a ceiling sling to you know hook me up and use a crane and pull me out and put me on a wheelchair put me on a commode chair shower chair um and i didn't have any function in my like any really um usable function in my arms like i could move yeah. them a little bit but i didn't have wrist dexterity or finger no indif individual finger movement and um i uh i was struggling it was turmoil emotionally but at the same time i was healing and so things were starting to change neurologically like my picture like daily almost initially and then it got it was kind of more like weekly or monthly as time went on but i was noticing neuropathic um, regeneration in my body and and i started being able to stand or like use my 
my legs and pressure my feet into the floor. So like um, six or seven weeks after the accident, I actually took my first steps, which was That's remarkably insane. fast. And um, but with every little bit of recovery, I felt these overwhelming waves of gratitude. Like, and it was, it was physical because I'd, and I don't know how I tapped into this, um, inner, inner network, but because I couldn't feel like anything, my skin was completely numb. And so my tactile sensory experience was really absent. I, I felt my emotions like I'd never felt them before. And literally whether it was, whether it was happiness or sadness, it was, like I could feel them, I could feel those emotions flow through my body like waves. And whenever it was happiness, I felt waves of heat. Whenever it was like despair or sadness or grief, I felt like waves of darkness is like a way hmm. to describe it. Like it just felt like hollow and empty and brutal. But once I realized that when I started, like the first time I brushed my teeth, by myself not fully on my own i had um i had a big adaptive grip on the toothbrush handle and i had a nurse there holding a bucket in front of my face i'm in a neck collar so i can't exactly and i couldn't lean over a sink or anything like that because i didn't have abdominals mm. to do that with i um i was so happy i cried like yeah i bet i um i remember my mom was there and it was like this never shows up on the radar of things people take for granted certainly didn't for me and um when i felt that bit of gratitude i felt those waves when i started transferring from my wheelchair to my bed and back and forth pressing my feet into the floor before i'd even started standing or taking steps every single bit of progress like that was like boom gratitude and these physical emotional reactions i was getting within my body which was like invigorating it just was like fuel on the fire for me for physical healing. And what I didn't realize is that there's a psychosomatic component in all this where the oxytocin and serotonin, which are really incredible neurotransmitters um, and good for our, like your um, central and peripheral nervous system for health. Like I was, I was able to connect more neurological pathways with the presence yeah. of some of those some of those uh neurohormones and neurotransmitters and it was just putting me in an optical optimal physical state to heal and the emotional part was massive but the physical part too is something that i i have not it's tied together it's tied together yeah. that we never talk about or we don't even think about do you think that well, I guess it's a more direct question. Did you fight the negative emotions at all at first? Did you fight the grief at first or did you just let it go from day one? Oh, that's hard. Um, there were definitely times where I don't know if I would call it fighting it, but ignoring them and just trying to distract myself or like just do something to take away from that pain. But the uh, the path to healing through trauma or whatever it is that you're dealing with right now is to is to go through it you've got to feel it and process it but release it if you don't process it you can't release it and um when it comes to like beating some of the negative stuff i actually um realized that by activating gratitude 
I could, um, I could beat the negativity bias. And so yeah. we are all biased towards the negative. And you and I have talked we about will, this. We were talking about that before this call and it's like blows my mind. And I'm just glad you're bringing it up because mm -hmm. your, your story of gratitude is so, it's so powerful, but also what you're saying now, I'm like, I had to, you know, allow the, the, the grief to come. I had to allow mm -hmm. it to flow. As men, we are so good at shutting that shit down. We are so good at it. Got lots of practice. We got lots of practice. And you shared you had uh, come up against grief before this in your life. But I wonder if maybe you can answer this question or maybe you've never thought about it. The friends that you had pass away, your grandparents, did you feel all that grief come rushing through this window of your accident all at the same time? It actually put that grief in perspective. And without those grief experiences, I wouldn't have been able to like even put a label on what I was feeling at the time. And I related what I was um, like the grief over the loss of my physical body and my identity, my independence, all that. Um, I related it to lost loved ones. I related it to people I knew who were battling terminal disease, people that had lost, like one of my best friends, pro skier Roy Bushfield had lost his um, wife and famous free skier, a, a girl, a wonderful friend by the name of Sarah Burke. And that was like devastating for and relevant in my community at the time. And so I related it to that. And I'm like, this is really no or not much different to what I was, um, what, what they must be going through. And so I guess it kind of put it in perspective. And I, I know now that when the loss matters or the loss is significant, that grief is the natural reaction. And in fact, you wouldn't want to react any other way when the loss mattered. Like if you lost a loved one, for instance, or something you lost, like a, a marriage, like a divorce, like you can attribute, like grief shows up in all sorts of different ways. But when you feel that feeling, it's validation for what you lost. And when it's the loss of a loved one due to a, like a fatality, they die. That's um, irreversible. Even when you perhaps more closely related to what I experienced when you lose the future you were meant to have that it, yeah. there's also a grieving period with that. And that was what I was grieving too. I was, I wasn't necessarily like, I will always have my memories. I will always have all the skiing I've ever done before in my life. Like I'm not losing that. I did it. It's there. Um, I can re I can access that in my mind anytime if I want. And now after some time, it just puts smiles on my face. I feel the waves of gratitude when I think about it. And, um, but, uh, I lost the, the dreams of going and coaching my team at the Olympics. Like I lost, you know, at the time, the idea that I might one day have a family or kids, you know, and, um, the, I don't know, this relationship with grief was put in, in perspective. And I realized that if the loss was important and it mattered, um, you're like, there is no antidote to grief. If the loss mattered, it was important, especially the loss of a loved one because they passed away. You're going to go forward with that pain in your heart, no matter what, for as long as you live, because 
it's not like getting over a bad relationship where you want to release yourself from the love. You want to fall out of love with that person in some cases, not always, but you want to, uh, cause sometimes you still want to take that love with you. It was a chapter of your life is important, but, um, for, for many people on the backside of a relationship where they want to get out of, they want to get out of it. They want to get past that feeling of heartbreak, that level of grief to something you want to put behind you. You want to get over it. But if it was someone you lost because they died, you don't ever want to get over them. You don't ever want to be without that love. So if you want to take the love with you, unfortunately, you're going to take the grief with you too. And I know that with time, it gets easier when you, you know, smell them or something reminds you of them. It doesn't make you feel sad. It puts a smile on your face. That's the gratitude showing up more potently. But uh, I realized early on that you cannot feel stressed. You cannot feel grief. You cannot feel neg negative about yourself when you're feeling thankful mm -hmm. for any list or any number of re any number of reasons why you could feel thankful. You can list them out. But if you choose to intentionally focus on that, you'll experience those waves, the neuro hormones, neurochemicals, those transmitters that are supporting you, putting in you in a better physical space to move forward through it. And it's true. And it's just something in psychology. You can't feel stressed when you're feeling thankful. You can't yeah. feel sad when you're feeling happy. And if you can replace it with an authentic feeling like gratitude, you can pick yourself up and it turns into a resilience tool. You can actually I've... move forward faster. Yeah. And here's the balance, right? We, we were talking about this before the podcast of the balance of grief and then using the tools to move past it. I've got a couple grief things that, that people might not think about that I, I think it's important to hear this because we, we think of lost loved ones. We think of all these different things that are obviously very real, but I've had some really odd experiences with grief in the last couple of years. One being as I shifted from a cycling coach to working with men, I had to grieve that past version of myself. Mm -hmm. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like the like, I built a quite an amazing program for kids on in road cycling and mountain biking. And when the day came, we had to shut that down. I had to grieve grieve that stage of my life. You're, Another you're one. You're actually you're grieving a component of of that lost identity. It was amazing. You've lost a part of who you are. Yeah, yeah. Another two other big ones was when my kids became teenagers, I realized I had to grieve that version of them being little kids and being so dependent on me. I literally had to grieve that that version of them was gone. And most recently, my 20-year-old daughter moved out of province and I had to grieve again that that version of her, that you know, teen her is gone. And I'm so grateful that I have the knowledge to do that because I think, and I'd, I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on this as men, especially, I think we hang on to that. We don't allow that, that grief to happen so we can move past that chapter. I have a ton of gratitude for my kids in those stages. Like it's not that I don't, but I think 
for me, if I'd hung on to that, it would cause me to be, I'm just going to use the word a little bit toxic because this emotion of grief, I would have been hanging on to it instead of just having a good cry with my daughter as she left town. Mm -hmm. And whoa, all right. Does it give you any comfort or um, sort of relieve you of some of the feelings just knowing or thinking about the fact that you're never going to lose that time you've that is still yours you have access to those memories anytime it's now just a different chapter absolutely and i think i think the flip side would be that if i was trying to hang on to it and like make my kids be that version of them it's like no that version's gone that stage of life is gone and it's okay we talked a little bit about um death and appreciating mortality and it's it's a tenant and existential theory which is just quite literally the theory of existence but um when considering death near-death experiences can help you appreciate the moment and live with more fulfillment and meaning and purpose in your life um on the flip side appreciation appreciating the time that we have left so considering your own your own demise which we're all on a one-way trip and we don't know when that's going to happen no we hope we hope that we live a long and healthy life long and healthy those are two different things the health part takes effort um but we we hope we're going to live a long time but we don't know um when our when our time's up and so if you can uh take that into consideration appreciate that perspective and look at um, the the fact that so many people, and we all know them, everybody, like you've had people that you've lost in your life. I've had friends that I've lost along the way that I'm already winning because I've made it this far. And I got to have so many of the experiences that I've had up till this point, And I'm so grateful for that. Like, I remember thinking in the hospital bed back in the 10 years ago, almost now, where it's just over 10 years, but um, I I used to think I am so lucky that I had skiing in my life in the first place. Imagine right. if I never had it. That would be a greater trauma or tragedy than the fact of actually breaking my neck because I got to experience these highs and joys that some people won't probably get to ever experience in their lives. And you can look at like a relationship with your daughter where you have the ability to go through that emotional process and even be in tears with each other, appreciating in that moment, how lucky you were to have that time that you've got yeah, something man. that's worth crying over. Like that is, um, that is such a shift. And there are so many people that do not get that lucky. They don't even and make th- it that long. That's true. And I think uh, it's so important for men to embrace this. Like, you're missing out on a big part of life if you don't. I'm it watching the cliche. Clock. It sounds cliche to say every day's a gift, but it but truly it is. is. So I have, I have, I have a couple ideas here as we get mm-hmm. close to the end of here. Is let's share something um, with the audience that that we're grateful for right now. I'll go first because I I've got this really. It's one that really might make me cry. Whew. Didn't expect that. So my son lives with me. My 18-year-old son lives with me. Mm -hmm. And I view 
fatherhood at this stage of life is preparing him to be the best version of himself and man he can be. And as I watch him grasp more of his um, independence, he was so proud yesterday or the day before that he phoned up his favorite barber shop, made an appointment, went and got himself there and just dealt with it all on his own. And I could just feel his pride in him taking care of himself. That is spectacular. That's so cool. And that's something that can bring you to tears, but could easily be overlooked. Now, gratitude is incredibly powerful when we're all winning it's natural to feel thankful and we're all generally grateful people like we say thank you intentionally and we mean it um but to start expanding your kind of perspective or your gratitude radar a little bit to start picking up on some of the the things that might pass you by yeah there's that's an why opportunity I that to, one. It's like, there's an what do you opportunity. Got? What do you got that's happened in the last couple of days? Oh man, I um, I've had uh, I'm incredibly busy right now, and I'm really thankful for it. I'm I'm working as hard as I ever have, and uh, I'm aligned in my values and virtues with where I am in my work and sort of career life, which has been really great and i'm very early on and i've got a long road ahead to get to my goals but i'm thinking in long time horizons on what i can achieve over the next 10 to 20 to 30 years realistically i don't i plan to have a life that i never have to retire from i'm already i'm already there i'm just going to keep going and helping people but um if you're ever feeling helpless be helpful one is less and one is full and so i'm i'm uh helping professional now and and so i'm in this space i've been doing it for a while and i'm just getting finding my flow but i've been really busy and i haven't been sleeping well and i have a an ambitious workload on my plate and i don't always feel like getting out of bed especially after a rough night of sleep everybody gets out of bed on the wrong side from time to time and it's on those days and i noticed it a couple times this last week where when I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, as soon as my feet hit the floor, that's when my gratitude trigger hit me. And it's in those moments where I feel like grateful. I'm like, I can just get out of bed. And it's something that on the good days, I literally, sometimes I miss it. And it's right. funny how the bad days are the ones that kind of trigger it for me. But um, I've been uh, very grateful for those physical abilities lately. And the trigger that it gives me to pick myself up when I'm not feeling so hot and to keep keep moving and keep keep going forward. It really makes those days easier when I just start with a little bit of a, a thank you to myself in the morning. Nice. I got uh, two questions for you to close this out. First one right. is, and see what you can do to keep it to the... I'm going to challenge, well, I'll, you. I'll I'm gonna challenge you on this one. I'm going to challenge you on this one to keep it to two sentences mm -hmm. what message do you have for a previous version of yourself i wish i could go back to like 15 year old me and tell myself to 
believe in my potential with relentless enthusiasm. That's becoming a theme, man. That is becoming mm -hmm. a theme of what men want to share with previous version of themselves. What closing thought do you have for men listening? If things aren't working out for you right now, and that's why you're here because you're, you're working on yourself, but feels like things aren't working out. It just means you're not finished yet because things will always work out. And that is the difference between blissful thinking or blissful optimism and real optimism when hope and trust in the process align. And with time, you'll be able to get through whatever it is and get to your next level, wherever that is in whatever part of your life that may be. Love it, man. Mike, where can people find you? Um, easy online. My social media handle and website are the same. It's Mike Shaw Ski, all one word. So MikeShawSki.com. My book, Never Part of the Plan, is on Amazon. Never Part of the Plan is a story of courage, resilience, and gratitude, of course. And uh, feel free to reach out to me. I've got, uh, I'm easy to find, but uh, people can hit me by email or on Instagram, wherever. Give me a follow. I like to post, uh, post lots of content like this and share ideas along the way too. And Brandon, you're a great follow for me. I find a lot of inspiration in you and I hope that uh, it's a two-way street because I'm trying to put out, put out some good messages in the yeah, world too, man. my friend. Thanks for being here. I'm super appreciative. Uh, I'll put the link in the show description how to track you down. Have a great day, man. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. I honestly hope you found something you can use in your life. And I hope you found some relief in knowing that you're not the only one with challenges. We can be very isolated as men. If you don't have support in your life, please reach out to someone. It's okay to need help. It doesn't mean that you're less of a man. In fact, it takes a courageous man to know when it's time to ask for guidance. Until next time, brother. <laughs>